Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 62nd episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How are you doing today, Jill? It's Halloween. It's Halloween. Um, we're sorry for the slight delay on this uh, release. It'll be a few hours late. Um, peek behind the curtain. Jill and I live in Cleveland, where our company is located, as you've heard many times. And our t- I'm not going to get cocky or confident or anything like that, but our baseball team is in the World Series. And World Series games take forever. They do. So we're all very sleepy, and it slipped our minds. We didn't. We woke up, and we got to the office today, like, which oh. is Monday. Yeah, we're like, oh, we didn't post an episode today. Um, but we have uh. one. We have one for you guys. <laughs> uh, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Do you want to tell everyone what you're dressed as since I can't see you? It's Minnie Mouse. It's a really awesome Minnie Mouse. Thank you. It's so good. Um I went as Eleven from Stranger Things. My wife went as Dustin because we're awesome and progressive and all those good things. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, But I'm not dressed as it today. Today I'm dressed as someone who's really tired because they stayed up till one in the morning watching the Indians. Um, Anywho, we have a lot of fun in our office. (laughs) We do. During Halloween. We throw a big Halloween party in the middle of the day. Um, No work gets done. No. No work at all gets done today. People just wandering around. Maybe we shouldn't say that part. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, I know. It's true, though. Work, some work gets done. Yeah. One of our um, one of our product owners who develops our app, he's very short, and it's mm-hmm. a running joke around here, so he's dressed up as Napoleon today. Oh, my God. That's genius. I'll have to find <laughs> it's him. so good. Yeah. So that's a shout-out to MJ. He uh, looks amazing. He always does joke. He always he does. does really funny, like... I'm a I'm a short person yep. outfit. It's really good. I think yep. he was a leprechaun one I, year. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, anyway, do you want to tell people who this? If they see the name of the title of this podcast episode, they'll know by now. But who did we speak with? We spoke with Kyle Mills, mm-hmm. who is the author who took over the Vince Flynn series of books. Yeah, and uh, he was he was in town to do a um, a book signing book event we didn't host that one we just chatted with him ahead of time um it was a lot of fun i love when we get to sit down together and talk with authors and um we did we had a conversation about you know how he felt about taking over and wildly popular person's works and um i don't know that i could ever do that no i feel like it's hard enough i mean you know this i don't but writing a book is hard enough and then actively being like i need to write in a different person's voice because he does it for the Vince Vaughn books and then also um Robert Ludlum like yeah. that's just mind-blowing yeah so he's writing as himself and then two other people who write in the same genre that you write yep. but very different voices and yep. yeah so he's he's really cool he's really down to earth he is we were I think we were harping a little bit on like wow this is so crazy that you do this and he was just like yeah it is it's it's awesome like he was super I know but that's chill. like the most fascinating part I think yeah just- wasn't a big deal to him. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that, Jill? They can find us on Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. and email us at feedback at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. We read all of those things. And go to overdrive.com. You'll see some really great lists uh, of books you can read. Uh, we have, we mentioned a few times, Jill made a Westworld one. She's obsessed with Westworld. I am. We were just talking about it before we started recording. Um, there's all sorts of stuff on there that they can enjoy. Anything else that you want to share? We have a very exciting podcast coming next Monday. Oh, man, we really do. We can tell people. Can we tell people? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, be sure to come back next week. Hopefully we'll have this one up on time. <laughs> but we got to sit down, and we have another live one coming, and mm-hmm. it's with Jody Peekle. Oh, my God. She's so <laughs> awesome. 
She was so she was uh, so awesome. I loved her so much. Me too. When we get to meet these people, and they're even more amazing than you think they're gonna be. I know. So she tells so many wonderful stories, yep. and we'll get into that next week. But you I'm will. excited. So for be everyone. sure to come back. Yeah. On Monday for Jody Peacol. Yeah, and we'll have an episode Thursday. <laughs> we will. We don't know what it is going to be yet, but it'll be great. You're going to love it. Um, all right. As Jill said, Jill, you, you said something at the end of the last podcast that got the Indians two wins. So oh. do you want to throw that out there? <laughs> you, want, you want to throw that out there one more time? Well, Cleveland against the world. Enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. joined by Kyle Mills, New York Times bestselling author of numerous books including The Aries Decision and The Survivor. Kyle has written best-selling books not only in worlds he himself has created but also in the popular Covert One series as well as Vince Flynn's Mitch Rapp series. Kyle, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So when I read um, crime mystery or geopolitical espionage thriller novels, basically authors like yourself and Tom Clancy and Vince Flynn, of course, I always wonder where the writers get the knowledge of government agencies. Your knowledge comes from a pretty unique upbringing, correct? Yeah, my father was an FBI agent for 25 years, and he became the director of Interpol, and he was the legal attaché to the United Kingdom for a while. Uh, which is a fancy way of saying he ran the FBI's <laughs> operation. In uh, so, yeah, I kind of grew up around this, you know, the spec ops guys and the CIA and the FBI police. So, you know, as a young boy, you'd hear all those stories and you'd kind of sit there and wide-eyed and listen to all the adventures these people had had. And I never forgot. Them. I think they're a little stunned now that... I still remember this stuff. And you must have been 13 when I told you that story, but you know, it really sticks with you. All right, and I, I have to ask, because when I read these books, there's, there's certain things in there that I'm like, there's no way that could possibly happen, but wait, could it happen? And then I start second-guessing myself, and I wonder how much is fiction and what, how much is kind of based in truth. Are there ever things that you have learned, either from your father or just from experiences now that you think you have some information that maybe you shouldn't be sharing in these books? Oh yeah, you always have to uh, <laughs> fictionalize a right. little bit after right. you've talked to people and they've given you uh, you know, some interesting information or interesting ideas about where you could go with something. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you don't have to as much. I, I knew a guy who was the head of securities, an FBI guy, in Vegas and we were talking one day and he said do you know how we get the money out of Vegas and I never really thought about it but it all piles in and you'd have to do something right and I so I came up with some incredible scenario of like underground secret (laughs) railroads with he's like no 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 we just pile it all onto trucks and he's like just drive interestingly seriously yeah interestingly on the loneliest highway in America because I drove it and that's what the signs say and I thought I think I can figure out how to steal that (laughs) so I wrote an entire book about stealing that money sure I mean why wouldn't you yeah (laughs) so did anyone come up to you after you wrote that book and was like hey um, we have questions (laughs) for you well it was kind of funny to do the research for that because I did I had to drive from Vegas so they, they take it to the the Federal Reserve in 
uh, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And so you have to drive that lonely road and time everything and figure out where the gas stations were. And then <laughs> finally, I was taking, you can't take pictures of the Federal Reserve, so I had to pose like a tourist and have my wife take <laughs> oh. them around me. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. And, but yeah, so, so it's, it's a lot of fun stuff like that. You, they, people tell you that you never really thought about. Uh -huh. And uh, then if you have kind of the mind of a criminal uh, or a terrorist, <laughs> you can think of some, oh, something to do with that. Yeah. That's amazing. hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what is your research process like for your books? Well, it's a lot easier now with the internet. Uh, the first one I wrote was kind of pre-internet, and that I had to lean really heavily on my contacts. Uh, a lot of people in the DEA helped me with that one. Um, now it's honestly a little easier. Uh, you can most things you can kind of look up. If not, I have contacts that uh, I can hit on, and then sometimes, you know, one one guy I work with is a fan of Vince's because mm -hmm. um, I honestly don't know that much about firearms mm -hmm. and you'd think being a thriller writer from Wyoming I have a bunch of guns <laughs> um, and he called me one or he emailed me one day and, and said you know I know a lot about firearms if you ever needed any advice and yeah people send you stuff out all the time but what do they really know and mm -hmm. I said well it's funny you should say that I'm running the scene where a guy has an AR-15 and it's a suppressor on it how loud is that and the next day he sent me a video of him shooting his AR-15 with a suppressor and a sound meter oh and I thought hey you're my god yeah that's convenient <laughs> so uh so yeah I've actually developed a relationship with that guy and, and he does so he checks everything I say about firearms that's really interesting. Um, okay, so you mentioned Vince Flynn, and you've also written um, some books in the Robert Ludlum kind of area and line mm -hmm. of, of series of books. How does something like that come about? As an author, what is the process or kind of, I guess, I know on, on your website you talk about how you just kind of got a phone call, but what is that process like when someone tells you, hey, we want you to write these books from this very famous person's perspective? Well, the, the, the Ludlum one was really out of the blue. That was literally kind of a phone call. Mm -hmm. And they had read a book I had written called Darkness Falls that was about, that was kind of a very science-oriented book. I'm kind of a science geek. Mm -hmm. And they had a series that did those kinds of things that they wanted resurrected. So I actually had a bunch of ideas for kind of science-y books that I'd never written um, just because they weren't kind of roaring in my genre, really. Mm -hmm. And so it was a great opportunity to drag those out and uh, and do them uh, as far as Vince went I think they were looking at a few authors to do that mm -hmm. and uh, I they called me and said kind of where would you go with this book because the last man the last book that he wrote clearly didn't end mm -hmm. it was meant to continue the storyline was meant to continue on and I read, you know, I'd, already, I'd read all the books already just as a fan, and, and I read that book and said, I told them where I thought I'd go with it, but then I said, you know, I really probably won't. Yeah, you know, I'll change my mind mm -hmm. five times. So I thought, well, I probably didn't get that job. <laughs> and, and I honestly didn't write anything like Vince, which is kind of funny. Uh, but I did, in the end, I did get the job, surprisingly, mm -hmm. and, uh, and ended up writing, finishing The Survivor. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and you mentioned that you don't write like Vince wrote. What was 
the fan reaction? I mean, what, how did people kind of receive that? The, they really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it didn't really hurt me. In fact, it kind of helped me, I think, that I didn't write anything like Vince. Mm-hmm. Because anytime I sort of felt myself falling into my own voice, it became really obvious. Mm-hmm. And I think if I had written books a lot like him, then there would have been a tendency to sort of drift into writing my own book about his characters. Mm-hmm. And in this book, I really wanted to create, um, you know, kind of a forgery in a way. I didn't want anybody to be able to. He wrote two and a half pages of that book before he died, and I wanted to make sure nobody knew which ones they were. <laughs> so it was. I worked really hard to just very much write a Vince Flynn book. Sure. So kind of flipping that a little bit, if you could pick a writer who maybe were one day take over your writing not morbidly <laughs> not morbidly just out of curiosity do you like, have anybody in mind you'd want to be you would like to oh uh, man i don't know that's that's a really good question <laughs> there are so many that i love um i think probably the guy who, wrote, who i would say writes most like me but i wrote write the most well, like would be frederick forsyth mm-hmm. but i don't think he's going to probably want to take over this is just like a magic this is yeah, a, yeah yeah well magical question you know with the adventure stuff i mean it's hard to say it because i've written so many different kinds of books like with the adventure stuff you know, think about brad thor mm-hmm. uh, or somebody like that and you know harlan coben mm-hmm. and dan silva i mean so many good writers out there lee child mm-hmm. i'll take them all yeah, yeah. Say, just having me try one point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so can you maybe give our listeners who might not be familiar a little bit of information about your latest book, which is Order to Kill, correct? Right. So it, it takes up where, uh, where the survivor left off mm-hmm. because that's sort of a continue. The Mitch Rapp universe kind of continues through, through the books and doesn't have real hard endings anywhere. And that one explores uh, Russia and ISIS and kind of the devastating effects of really low oil prices on some fairly unstable countries, mm-hmm. Russia being one of them. And I thought that would be kind of an interesting thing to do with Mitch Rapp, the main character, because there are things that Vince didn't really explore. I, he never, he, he would have never known anything about the rise of ISIS mm-hmm. or Vladimir Putin sort mm-hmm. of getting a little kooky <laughs> around the world. <laughs> That's and, a good way of putting it. Yeah, so there was, it was a... Uh, it's kind of fun to take Mitch Rapp and do some things that he's never done before. It kind of put him in situations he's never done before. Uh, and I did that, and uh, and then I gave him a uh, kind of a, a rival, a nemesis that is pretty close to being equal to him, which mm-hmm. is something he's never had before either. You always the fun of the Mitch Rapp books was always. You, know, you never, you knew he wasn't going to get killed, <laughs> but he, you wanted to see how he killed everybody else. Right. Sure. And uh, this one, you know, when he fa- has to face the guy, he starts thinking, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. I got a pretty bad right knee. I don't see as well as I did. You know, I might, I might not be able to take this guy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just to see how those characters react in situations that they've never been in before is kind of fun. So we talked about your research process. What's your writing process like? Uh, I'm kind of a nine to fiver. I five days a week I write generally a chapter a day, and depending on depending on what my deadline looks like, this time I'm I'm writing a chapter a day, rough draft till I finish the book, and then I'll go back and do a second draft before I turn it in. I guess my first drafts aren't 
little messy. Yeah, most people are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then do you um, do you kind of purposely leave yourself like a a place that you would stop off so you know if you have something to start off in the morning or do you finish a thought? I've kind of seen both. I've, I've talked to people who do both. One, it's kind of like the Hemingway, like stop in the middle of a sentence kind of an idea. And then I've also had people tell me like, no, I finished an entire scene because I'm terrified I'm going to forget it. So, Yeah, I would never forget because I write really elaborate outlines. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but no, I write, I finish the scene. And it's great when it's a really, really short scene because then you can be done by lunchtime. But then sometimes it goes <laughs> on forever and, and, and then you're there all night. So, but yeah, it would be, it would definitely, it's kind of hard. I'm actually writing, I've been writing a chapter for the last three days because I'm on tour Mm -hmm. and it's kind of driving me nuts because you have to pick up in the middle of the scene and Mm -hmm. try to get started again. Do you have any advice for aspiring writers? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely some mistakes I made, uh, for sure. Uh, one, I would say you've got to finish the book. And I, a lot of people really struggle with that, and they are constantly going back and revising stuff that they've done. Um, don't do that until you're done the, with the book. Uh, I actually have a friend who's a terrific writer and very successful, and he does the whole one page a day, and it's perfect at the end of mm-hmm. the day. Oh, I can't imagine doing that. I don't know how you'd ever finish it. All. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big page. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> So he's like, 400 days later, I'll be yeah. done. And then it's done, done. He just sends it off. Um, but I would say that's an important one. And uh, remember you know, that the editing process is really different than the writing process. Mm-hmm. The writing process is fun, but the editing process is where you've got to criticize yourself and, and you know, polish it and don't, don't skimp on that. I know a lot of people that love the writing process and they get kind of bogged down and depressed in the editing process mm-hmm. and, and that's something you've got to really pay attention to. I think James Dashner said the exact J- same James thing. James Dashner really? literally said the exact same thing. He's like, I hate, hate, hate editing so much. Which is funny because I've heard a lot of other authors say like, editing is writing. Like that's the part where you, but that's the part, you know, anyone can like write a first draft. It's a writer who has the Ability and the persistence to sit through and edit all of it, and I'm like nodding my head, and then James Asher's like, "Oh yeah, it's terrible. I really hated it." I'm just laughing. I'm like, this is so funny. Like the spectrum of everything. For me, it's so much easier than writing. I mean, you know, you can fix. What was it? Nora Roberts said you can fix a bad page, but not a blank page. I mean, once I've got a big stack of paper, I figure I can get this done. It's when you're staring at that blank one that I think is hard. So since you when you said you get through kind of the whole thing first and then you start editing, for you, are, as you're going through that process, are you ever writing scenes and like as you're writing them, you, you're just like, I'm going to pare this down when I, get to, when I get back to it? Or do you kind of think throughout the whole thing, like, this could all work, and then when you go back, you start to find things that you want to change a little bit here and there? I definitely write a lot of notes to myself mm-hmm. in the manuscript. And yeah, I've, I've written scenes where I think, this is terrible. <laughs> There's just really nothing worth saving here. But i got to write the scene, and then I'll decide what to do with it later. Sometimes you edit it, sometimes you just cut it. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, you, that's the other thing I think people, uh, writers, and, and we all fall into this category, that you can kind of find, fall in love with your own words. and it's, Or at the very least, with all the work you did, and think, oh, I'm going to save this 
and sometimes it's not worth saving. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to let go. Yeah. Since you write your own books and then, you know, Ludlands and Flynn's, is it hard kind of bouncing between, moving between those different worlds? No, I haven't had too much of a problem. I've been lucky in that I don't go back and forth too much. I kind of then do them in blocks. Okay. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm definitely in the Vince Flynn Mitch Rapp universe. And if I had to jump out of that, yeah, and then jump back into it, I think mm -hmm. it'd be kind of difficult. Um, but so far it's been pretty consistent. And you mentioned with, at least with the, the, the Vince Flynn stuff, that people were aware you were writing it and you didn't really concern yourself to try and write his exact style, but do you ever find yourself kind of consciously being like, okay, this is a Mitch Rapp book. I, sh I need to write it a certain way. Like, do you concern yourself with that or is it just you're going to write the way that you write and it just so happens that you have this ability to kind of understand that world and tell a story in it? Well, with the Ludlum stuff, I had a lot of free hand there because it was kind of starting up an old uh, series that hadn't been worked on in a long right. time. And one of my jobs there was to sort of create, recreate this, the universe and set it on a path. Mm -hmm. So if somebody else wanted to write those books, you know, they could. Um, Vince's stuff, though, was really different. I, he had huge fan base and they were all really rabid right. and they loved the book so it's kind of a, if it ain't broke don't fix it mm -hmm. and so yes I am extremely conscious when I write his books of this is a Vince Flynn book the scenes aren't necessarily what I would normally write the characters I tended to write much more flawed kind of human you know uh, uh, characters weaker characters in a way that whereas his were are incredibly strong and mm -hmm. very righteous and you know mine tend to be chain smoking drums <laughs> so yeah it's a, it's a whole different kind of book that I and, and it was funny because they asked for a couple of books from me during my interview and I thought what am I going to give them that's even close to this the only one I had was sort of this Navy SEAL that it that was really funny and who was kind of this unrepentant mass murderer. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I don't know, I'm sure this is going to play well, but it's at least a military character. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's definitely different. And when I, when I do diverge from his formula, I'm very aware of it. Yeah. Uh, which is another thing I would go back and, and say to aspiring writers, if you're going to break a rule, make sure you understand the rule you're breaking. Yeah. And so I always do yeah. uh, with with his stuff. I, if I do something funny in it, I'm pretty aware that he didn't really do yeah. that. So I keep it toned down. And I will say on your website, that's something I really loved, is you have a section for Vince Flynn fans, and you literally say, like, here's my most Vince Flynn-like book, ranging <laughs> yeah. to my least. <laughs> I love that you like literally put your own books in order, like, all right, listen, here's how you can get used to me. Here are all the books, yeah. and here's what's like him and what's not. It's, that's not a question. I just, I was really, I was like, what a, that's a good going, idea. Going out of your way to really say, like, here I am, guys. Yeah. Here's well, and yeah, and some of the, my books are really not. I mean, <laughs> you know, I wrote a general fiction book in the first person once about a guy who works for the tobacco industry. <laughs> and I was afraid people would, would get those and go, ah. <laughs> Like, I feel like that would be intimidating. Like, that would be the most intimidating part, like, having this universe with these 
very dedicated fan base. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'd be terrified to even try. I know, I know we're harping on it, but it like blew both of our minds. It's like, man, what a... Not just one, but two. Yeah, you're much braver than we are. I think yeah, we're doing yeah. it. I remember my wife saying, well, this could really blow up in your face. <laughs> but, yeah. Positive really reinforcement. <laughs> but, you know, and, and it's funny, even before I... Before the book was done and anybody had ever read it, you know, I, the people, his fans were really positive about the whole thing. I got a lot of emails because I thought it might be the opposite. It was, you know, it was a huge amount of hate mail. Mm-hmm. And I didn't at all. It was great. Nice. I don't know. I think for me, if there's like a character that you really love, you don't really care. Yeah, you just I want mean, more of that more. character. Yeah. Yeah, it transcends the author, which is what we all yeah. shoot for, and you mm-hmm. know, Vince achieved that. Yeah, uh, yeah. You hate to see that character go away. It's such a big part of people's lives. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then, so when you were growing up, obviously a lot of your stories come from your father and his background, and that's where you get a lot of that knowledge from. But were there books that kind of captured your imagination and, and sparked a interest in the literary world? I know you worked a lot before you became a writer, but when you were growing up, I guess, what were the books that inspired you? Oh, uh, you know, when I was younger, I loved Stephen King stuff, I think. Man, this is also a string, all of it. First, well, everybody does. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's Jill. I'm a huge Stephen King fan, but also James Dashner. James like, Dashner, yeah. You <laughs> guys should hang out. It's pretty funny. Well, you know, it's... He's like, you know, they say, you know, the Velvet Underground, you know, not not that many people listen to him, but every single one started a band. And I think like <laughs> Stephen King, everybody thinks, I want to be a writer. It's true. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we can't all do it like him. But, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, I remember reading Salem's Lot when it came mm-hmm. out. And so I would have been, I must have been like eight years old or something, sitting under my covers reading that book. Um, but, yeah, books like that, um, in my early life, I would say... Uh, Trevanian stuff I really liked, like Shibumi, because they were really they were thrillers, but they were really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, James Clavell, for sure. Uh, Ludlum mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Uh, so, and then I thought Tom Clancy when he came out I was a little older. Um, I thought he kind of transcended the mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the genre. It was probably the best mm-hmm. at that that anybody ever as 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 good as anybody ever was. Mm-hmm. And then contemporaries, do you have people that you... A lot of people I just said. Oh, so yeah. A lot of people still, that's a really good point. Yeah. They're, all, they're all still very much writing that. All right. <laughs> foot in mouth. <laughs> so uh, we're a library company. We work a lot with libraries. We're interviewing in a library yes, right now. <laughs> do you have any memories of going to the library as a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my mom used to drop me off there to get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd sit there and do my little book reports and uh, plagiarize huge sections of the encyclopedia, mm-hmm. I think like we all did. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd go and my, my parents were big readers too, so we always had these huge shelves, but I didn't have very many kids books, so I kind of delved into the adult stuff when I was really young, um, which probably suited me because I think my parents would say, stop reading those novels and study. <laughs> Now it works out. That it's a good thing I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So towards the end of all of our podcasts, we like to ask kind of nine rapid-fire questions. These are easy, lighthearted. We call them the Nerd Nine because <laughs> professional book nerds. Um, so not too much thought about these, but first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Right. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. What is the last book you read? Uh, 
it was in Spanish. Uh, let me translate it. Uh, I can't. Oblate of Lettuce? I don't know. Uh, the last book I read in English, though, was Josh Hood's new one. And I can't, I think it was, I can't remember what it was called, though. It was really good. We'll accept it. What's your favorite place to read? See, that was a really long answer. Wasn't that's okay. That's, <laughs> okay. A, that's okay. a good job. You did a good job. <laughs> okay. Uh, my favorite place to read? Uh, my living room, sitting in the window. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh, so many. Uh, I am a, I'm a big skier, so that's what I do when I should be working. <laughs> uh, what's one place you'd like to travel that you haven't yet been to? Tehran. That's a really good answer. That's a good answer. What's your favorite holiday? Oh, Christmas for sure. Favorite movie? Uh, Seven Samurai. Cats or dogs? Cats. Favorite food? Uh, pretty much anything Indian. <laughs> and then I think I know the answer to this one, but if you could have dinner with anyone alive or dead, who would you choose? Maybe... Uh... Sounds really pompous, but maybe Albert Einstein. Oh, see, I thought for sure you were going to say Vince Flynn. <laughs> That's, that was my assumption. That would have probably been a better answer. <laughs> no. I, could, I could really use to have dinner with Vince Flynn. <laughs> I have to, to back up. Did you read the book in Spanish? Yeah, I'm trying to learn Spanish. Oh, okay. So it's, it's embarrassing because people ask me, what's the last book you read, read? and I read... <laughs> all these books incredibly slowly because my Spanish isn't very good. So it's like Harry Potter and <laughs> Matilda uh-huh. and stuff like that. Right now I'm reading like Water for Chocolate and that's why I couldn't... I, I, I was trying to think what was the translation of that. Okay. Como agua para I guess. So is that just... Just wanted to learn a, a... Is it... What was it? First off, is it a second language for you or is it a... Yeah. <clears throat> uh, just bucket list item. Mm-hmm. Learn a second language, and uh, we're we, we're going to Spain uh, at the end of the month. So I thought, well, I should really. It's actually not a bad push. way to do it. I mm-hmm. feel like if you read books, especially ones you're familiar with already, you can kind of yeah. compare side by side we a little read them bit. Behind each other, so yeah. One. So you can kind of. That would be much better than sitting and like in front of a computer repeating. I lost about five minutes on this thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, uh, I have a Rosetta Stone for Japanese. And I was really good for like two months. And I was like, I'm going to be able to do this. And then I got busy for like a month and went back. And I had forgotten all of it. I was like, well, I'm never going to open this up again. So <laughs> that was money well spent. It's, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll see if it ever really works out. I'm not sure. You could have totally just told us, like, yeah, I'm, I'm very I'm fluent in Spanish, and I read in Spanish all the time. You could have left it at that. You know, I, <laughs> the worst word in the world, fluent. Because mm-hmm. people are always telling me that, and it made me feel so bad about myself for a while. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, I just went down to Costa Rica, I was surfing for a couple weeks, and by the end of it, I was fluent. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I've been studying for like eight years, and I, I still have to hack through Harry Potter. Am I yeah. just an idiot? Yeah, well... You're and then much, I realized their uh, definition of fluency was, yeah, yeah dame un taco, baby. Yeah. Puerto <laughs> Hero Baño, they can ask for where the restroom is. And, yeah. Donde esta la biblioteca? That's like the two that I remember. Um, okay. Uh, Last question. You can go ahead. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, what do you hope readers take away from your books? Oh, it kind of depends on the books. I've written so many strange books. Um, I, mainly, I hope they learn something. I... I I've written on a lot of science and geopolitics and things like that, and I always try to take a different perspective or kind of a different moral stance 
and to make people think about, like my first book was about somebody poisoning the U.S. narcotics supply, and the idea that in the end it would save lives as people stopped taking drugs, and it was kind of this you know horrible choice, uh, and to make people think, well, who was the good guy and who was the bad guy in that book? So hopefully that's it. Kat, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.